0: Stocks try to rally after another week in the red. We'll take a look at how the upcoming midterm elections might factor in. Plus, is the 60-40 portfolio a thing of the past? We give our take in today's Mach 1 Market Moment.
1: Welcome to Mach 1 Market Moment, where we provide financial information on topics such as investing, insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. A quick reminder that the hosts of the show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing said in the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. Be sure to subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode. Also, follow us on all of our social media platforms. We are Mach 1 Financial Group on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube.
0: Welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment. This is episode 123. The roller coaster continues this week for the market. Some big gains Monday, as some earnings reports have investors optimistic. But we're coming off another negative week as the new report released Thursday shows consumer prices rising higher than expected for the month of September. And while the report shows some relief in the energy sector, the coming winter could pose an additional threat. Here's an analyst with NBC breaking it down
1: for right now it remains uncomfortably high the amount of price increases that we're seeing in this country but if there is one place where maybe Mm -hmm. we're seeing a little bit of relief it is in energy we saw this in the month of august as well but in september we did see prices across the board fuel oil motor oil those types of things getting a bit cheaper Americans have been observing that at the pumps over the period of kind of, let's say, leading up into the later parts of September. That story has reversed a bit. We've seen gas prices nudge up, so that story could change for the October report. But by and large, it seems like the energy side of things was a bright spot in this report, even though it's very hot. Uh, But- Broadly speaking, I want to point out one other thing. Energy services in the winter. It's going to be a very, very cold winter. And obviously, when we talk about the high, the spiking price of natural gas, that can lead to higher prices for home heating, which could be an issue in the months to come.
0: So this is Matt. Today, I'm here with Eli and Lee. Guys, you just listened to the soundbite. What are your initial thoughts or comments?
2: Inflation is still here. I mean, we've still got a problem. Um, you know, the, Jerome Powell, the Fed, they're – you know they're doing what they're called to do, and that's try to get, you know, inflation down to or yeah, inflation down to a two percent annualized rate, and we're not even close. And you know, the thing that worries me, as we've said in previous podcasts, is, you know, this is a cumulative effect. We we typically don't see the effects of interest rate hikes for, you know, several months um, in the future, and but right now the the, the rate hikes from earlier this spring. I mean, they have not slowed down spending. So, yeah. I mean, we're we're in for, I'm afraid, you know, a few more rate hikes.
0: Yeah, so year-over-year year, prices were up 8.2%. It was up 4% from August, which is double what economists has, had expected. Lee, I know we were over in Tulsa last week, listened to some of the guys from First Trust. You know, Brian Westbury, who I know a lot of people probably are used to seeing on Fox News and Fox Business and all of that. He was talking about how he's been saying from day one, you know, inflation is not a rate. It's not a it's not a rate game, right? It's a money supply game, and how the them increasing rates is also hurting the supply side, not just the demand side. He gave the example of you know, show me a builder out there who's going to build just as many homes when rates are at eight percent versus when they were at two. And so he said, you're not only slowing down the, the demand side, but you're you're hurting the supply side. So we've got to figure out a way to get some of this M2 money supply. Kind of worked worked its way through the system before inflation really starts to subside.
2: You know, and I think and I think it is. I mean, it, it's a time thing, and you know, we 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 had basically what two to three years worth of money injected into the system in about a you know three month period. Right. It, it's going to take a while. It it is working its way through, um, but you know, the Fed has a has a calling. I mean, the Fed is you know, supposed to take care of the inflation and um, they're doing their darndest right now.
3: One of the ways that you can see it really quickly is mortgage demand is dropping like crazy, but we're not going to see the effects of mortgage demand dropping because of interest rate hikes probably for a couple more months because the reason that one of the primary reasons for them raising rates drop, dropping the mortgage demand is trying to stop people from spending on purchasing homes, decorating their homes that's not going to happen immediately people were buying homes like crazy all the way through 2020 and 2021 we're not going to see the effects of that immediately
2: you know and and to the housing point i think that you're still going to have people that are going to be building new houses buying new houses because people move around and you know i mean up here in northwest arkansas tyson announced you know a week and a half ago that they're relocating a lot of their corporate jobs from South Dakota and Illinois to Springdale. Well, that's 700 to a thousand people that are going to be moving to this area. Well, you know, they've got two choices when it comes to Northwest Arkansas. They can rent or they can try to find a home. Well, if they are going to be buying a home in Northwest Arkansas, they are going to be paying, you know, six and a half to 7% for a mortgage that probably a few years ago, they got one where they're at now in the threes. So, um, it, it is going to have a slowing effect. It, like you've said, it's just going to take a while.
0: You start looking at a lot of the graphs over the last few years, the charts of all kinds of things, money supply rates, the stock market, the housing market. I think, and Brian Raspberry was talking to this last this point last Tuesday, I think a lot of it just basically goes back to say, hey, the last two years should have never happened anyways. Like all of the growth that we saw, whether it's from a stock market perspective, or like that was, that was a uh, man-made growth. It whatever. was fake. It was fake. Yeah, I mean, it was just this this fake number, this fake data that we just kind of created because of this extreme situation we were put in. Um, we shut the economy down, right? Our, the entire system down. And so, if you just look at taking out the last two years, and then you look at where we, where you were at or where we were at in twenty nineteen. I think it it's a much better way to look at kind of reality and setting expectations moving forward instead of thinking of like, oh, we're coming down, whether it's from a market, whether it's markets or rates or whatever, oh, we're coming down off this extraordinary high, like things are going to get so, so bad. All these charts, you take out the last two years, like we're holding up pretty darn well yeah. relative to where we were at in 2019. And so- uh, you know, just a good kind of way, different perspective. To have so when you so do if things.
3: you're if you're a listener listening to this podcast, one way that you can see that go to cnbc.com, click on the market that says S&P 500 and just look at the chart in the last two years. You'll see how that chart just shot up. But if you do it, if you click, there's a way you can see all time. If you click on all time, you'll see it's a steady and gradual growth upwards. And these last two years almost look like what would be called a bubble where the last two years are just extreme growth. And then if you put a pencil on that growth, it's been steady. Sure. Just taking
0: out those last two years. That's exactly what Matt is saying. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, So another thing coming up on the horizon, midterm elections. So another major market impact we could see in just a few weeks with the elections coming up. The Wall Street Journal recently released a podcast discussing the issue, saying that since World War II, the market typically rallies in the year following midterm elections. This year is a little different. Take a listen.
2: Usually, the reason why stocks tend to rally after midterms is because there's just a removal of uncertainty about who's in power in Washington. Investors have a better sense of what kind of policy making will go on, you know, in the coming year. But this year, they're saying that even once they understand who will be in power in Washington, that's not going to remove a lot of uncertainty about monetary policy, which is controlled by the Fed.
0: So the the soundbite, you know, gets into kind of. Just certainty in the markets. Markets we talk about a lot obviously don't like uncertainty, right? That's what scares, that's what creates volatility in the markets. And so I think this, you know, this soundbite in particular is just basically saying once people know who's in control, it gives us one more piece of the pie that we can be a little bit more certain on. I know we have a, you know, I know a lot of people that are really optimistic about, um, you know, conservatives doing well this fall, and maybe having a little bit more confidence in leadership. And so, um, what's it's it's interesting as you kind of go into this year, looking at what people's expectations are with everything going on, and then just historical context and perspective of what's happened after midterm elections. You know, historically speaking.
2: You know, and I think if you look, if you go back and look at the stock market for the last you know seventy five hundred years. Um, the markets really don't care who the president or who is in the in the White House. Um, you know, for every you know good market return over a four year period with a Republican in the White House, I can show you the same numbers for a Democrat. Um, your your comments on uncertainty are, are spot on. Um, we still have the uncertainty of the Fed, no matter who you know wins in the midterms. I will say this: um, been in the business for almost thirty years, the markets kind of favor gridlock. oh sure um the markets you you, you know we might look at it as like well that there's nothing going to get done well that's just the point the markets like that because if nothing's going to be get done that kind of means nothing's going to change which again goes to your point of it removes some uncertainty um out of the equation so i think that um i think that all eyes will continue to be on the fed no matter who wins the house races the senate races um, it, it is shaping up to be um, quite interesting over the next four or five weeks.
0: And if you just look at, like, historically speaking, the market does well after midterms. But that's, I mean, it's regardless of who wins, right? It's not a political statement that, is that the correct. market is making. It's 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 not saying, hey, we're excited that conservatives or Republicans are now in, in office or we're excited that Demi- – it's just – Hey, we're, it, I think I look at it almost like the market's just kind of glad it's over with and now it can move on. Right. And so that's generally a positive thing for the yeah. market, regardless of which side of the aisle, you know, wins or does well.
3: And I, I don't think we referenced any of the statistics that they said that Wall Street Journal posted. But what they said was since World War Two, after the midterm election, the markets have gone up every year. Right. And on average, if you average out all of the years, it's gone up 15 so percent. Fifteen percent wouldn't even really get us back to where we were at the end of twenty twenty one. So it's not we're not saying your money is going to be all the way back after one year, even if they we do get that fifteen percent return. It's just an expectation of exactly what you guys are saying.
2: Well, and I think it's interesting too that, um, you know, if if the Democrats control both you know chambers of Congress, then you know you can kind of point to certain specific stocks and industries that would tend to fare well if Re- Republicans have control of both. Chambers, and, I, you know, you can look at other areas like energy, defense, that typically do well um, under re- Republican-controlled Congress. So, you know, I guess bottom line is what we're saying is it really matters not. Um, I think we all have our preferences of who we might want or not want to get reelected or elected. Um, but as far as the stock market's concerned, they're more focused on, on monetary policy than anything that could happen in the Senate or the House. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So last, last topic for today, 60-40 portfolios. So how are 60-40 portfolios handling the volatility this year? Actually, historically bad. It's been a rough year. According to the Bank of America, uh, 60-40 investors are facing their worst returns in a century. So now there's a debate of whether 60-40 portfolios are a thing of the past. The founder for Alternative Investment Platform, CAIS, seems to think so. Here's an interview with Yahoo Finance. The 60-40 portfolio, I can say it here, I think is officially over. I think markets like this have really just once again demonstrated that you you can't just have a a portfolio that is only equities and fixed income. Uh, The modern portfolio is really a three-dimensional portfolio. It's stocks, bonds, and alternative investments. And most people are talking that it's going to be 50, 50, 30, 20, uh, and 20 being, of course, alternative investments. So is the 60-40 portfolio dead? Will those investors see a rally in the future or are things just starting to evolve? Uh, b-
3: before we go into our analysis on 60-40, I do want to explain if if you're a listener and don't know what a 60-40 portfolio is, 60% of your portfolio is invested in stocks, 40% is invested in bonds. The idea is stocks are your growth and bonds are your safety. So if the market's down, the bonds will turn out 3-4% and then you'll ha- you'll be protected at least somewhat from downturns.
2: Right. Yeah. You know, my take for the last several years has been that the 60-40 portfolio has been, I'm going to put it, I'm doing air quotes if you can't see me, has been dead for quite some time. I mean, the last place you wanted to be over the last 10 years has been the fixed income markets. You know, so I would say that the 60-40 portfolio has been dead for a while. Died a decade ago. Yeah, Yeah, but I could almost make the argument that, Given where rates have gone quickly, that the sixty forty portfolio might be coming back and becoming more favorable from the standpoint of kind of like you mentioned earlier, Matt. You're getting paid to wait a little bit with higher interest rates. Well, if rates are or if prices are high or rates have gone up high, you know if rates come back down a little bit, bond prices will go back up. So, you know the the the, the commentator or the you know what we just listened to talked about. Alternative investments being a a portion of that, I agree. I think that alternative investments should make up you know portion of somebody's portfolio now. But yeah, I don't I don't think the sixty forty is dead going forward. I could see it actually coming kind of back into favor a little bit more than it's been at least for me and my clients over the last ten years or so.
0: Yeah, I mean it's the most attractive it's been since I've been in the business. Right. I mean every <laughs> I haven't been in the business anytime where you could earn any decent yield on safe money at all. Sure. I mean, rates have just been low for a really, really long time. And so now is the first time where it's like, hey, we can go get 4% on a one-year, two-year treasury, or we can get, you know, it's like, that's unheard of from the perspective that I have. And as, you know, as most people probably know, but for those that don't, you know, as rates go down, the prices of the value of the bonds that you already own go up. So to Lee's point, you know, if, if we get up and rates tick up a little bit higher and then they start to level off and then go down, not only are you gonna be paid actually a decent yield while you own it, right? Four, five, six percent, depending on what you own. If rates start to come back down, then then that's going that value of that's gonna actually appreciate. So you could sell it before maturity for a premium, right? And so we haven't you haven't had those kinds of options in the fixed income market in It's been a long time. A long, long, long time. And so you know, I know it's something we're looking at. I mean, any advisor who's trying to be objective and look at the, the environment that we're in and making the right decision for clients, I think you should work with somebody who's open to always exploring all options and everything on the table as, as the environment and situation change. So it's a conversation we've had recently of, you know, what does that mean for us and our client allocations?
2: Yeah, and we're even, you know, one of the things that we are doing as we speak and record this is, you know, we are making changes. To some of our portfolios. We're introducing new portfolios with the, with the mindset of going forward, new world, new investing environment.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, What one thing to be considerate of, if you, are, if you are a Mach 1 client or not a Mach 1 client and you own fixed indexed annuities as a portion, say it was your principal protected safe portion, that still can serve fully as the functioning portion of your portfolio that, that would be bonds. So if, if you come to us and say, I want more bonds in my portfolio. You may not need more bonds in your right. portfolio just because you have a, a good allocation to what I would consider principal protected, a fixed indexed annuity or something like thereof, instead of a
0: mixture between stocks and bonds. You've got stocks and you've got a fixed index annuity. Yeah. I mean I remember my grandma hearing my grandma talking about, you know, really high rates back in like the seventies, right? I mean they <laughs> She made her money on CDs at the bank, paying her 14%, 15%, right? And I don't think we're anywhere close to that. Probably won't, ever, won't see that again now. But it is kind of wild that, like, I can, you can go put cash somewhere and get paid for it. Yeah. I mean, that, that just hasn't existed. So it's a, it's a great thing. High rates, you know, it's like anything in life has its pros and cons. It's great for retirees. Someone who has money and invested and is trying to generate yield Higher rates are fantastic, but it kind of stinks for the consumer trying to buy something.
2: You know, as we kind of wrap up here, one of the things that we learned last week from at that conference we went to in in Tulsa um, is that higher rates are here for a while. Um, I think that we need to get used to this environment. You know, they may come down a little bit, but you know, the, the consensus was higher rates for longer. I think that inflation will come down, but I think that for those people that think that next year is going to be a year where the Fed is rapidly lowering rates back down, I think I think they're off.
0: Well, I'm I'm someone who always believes in reverting to the mean. I just do. I think over time the mean will play itself out. And so you whether you look at inflation running at historical lows for over a decade and needing to have higher inflation to revert back to the mean, or or if you look at it from a rates perspective, rates being low, I mean you just look at the Hundred-year average on inflation, or the fifty-year average on kind of the thirty-year mortgage, like, well, where we we're at was not sustainable forever. It just wasn't, and so um, it's going to take a period of things being a little bit higher just to get us back to kind of that longer-term average trend rate that you would expect. And I think that's perfectly fine. It and it it does mean things might look a little different over the next decade than they have in the last, but um, you know, we'll we'll adjust. Yeah.
3: It, what you're referencing, inflation, what we were in previous to this year, if you go back 10 years, we were under the average on inflation. Right. That That's now, now we're over the average. So we're we're going to be working our way back down to what would be the average, somewhere around 3%, 3.24. And then on mortgage rates, we were well under the average. I think the average for the last 100 years has been somewhere in the 5%. Something like that, so yeah. So now we're back up to 7%. So yeah, at some point it probably will start going back down. Right things just have to start getting a little bit more settled. We're in it, we're in a weird time
0: in many different markets. Sure. So, great conversation today, guys. Some really interesting points. I know the midterm is one we'll probably circle back to here in the next week or two as this, you know, as that that quickly approaches. Um, and then rates and all of that that's not going away anytime soon like we mentioned. So so conversations that we'll continue to have and see you know, with the Fed making another announcement here in November, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I'm sure there'll be a lot to talk about. But as always, we want to end with a thought of the day. This one is from John Wooden. Things work out best for those who make the best of the way things work out. John Wooden. All right. As always, we appreciate you guys listening to the podcast and we look forward to you joining us next time on the Mach 1 Market Moment.
1: Investment advice. Mach 1 does not provide tax or legal advice. You should speak to your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. For full disclosures, please visit mach1financial.com disclosures.